0: We're going to finish this series on the Great Commission today. i said at the beginning it felt like one of those topics almost that that you didn't feel, uh, or I didn't feel able to teach on, and it was just almost beyond me. I understand about soul winning and so forth, but to get up in the pulpit and preach and teach about the Great Commission that God has called us to, when so many times I have failed to to actively be fulfilling that. And not always, but there are times that I feel, feel like I could have done more and should have done more. And I don't want to feel that way. I want, to, I want to be actively involved in the Great Commission. A commission is a duty or command given to an individual or group of people. That's the actual definition of a commission. The Lord gave the greatest of all commissions when He commissioned His people to, to bring this Gospel into all the world and to, to preach it, making disciples of men, teaching them to obey whatsoever He had commanded them as His disciples. And so it said, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world, to the end of the age. There's not a higher calling. There's not a higher commission. I mentioned this uh, in one of, the, one of the previous parts of this series. There is a general, probably any of you are World War II buffs, and historians, you know, there was a, a British general named Bernard Montgomery. He was second in the Allied command under Eisenhower, and he was a born-again believer. And one, one, somebody asked him one time, uh, General General Montgomery, what is your interpretation of the Great Commission? He said, "You don't interpret that, son. You do it." And I, I couldn't agree with that more. It, it, there comes a point. And that point is now, okay? When the talking about the Great Commission and soul winning is enough, not that we have to be through talking about it, but there comes a point like General Montgomery says you don't sit there and slice it and dice it to death and interpret it. You do it. You go bring the Gospel to people that don't know the Lord. We bring Jesus to a world that doesn't know Christ. What, What else are we here for? I mean, seriously, selling houses, buying houses, getting a new church building, it's all going to be burned up. That building we put all our time and effort in, and I'm doing it as unto the Lord, and I know you are. That's, that work won't be burned up, but the building will be, and the grounds and the parking lot, but not, not the work for the Lord. The Bible says in Hebrews that God is not unrighteous to forget your labor your labor of love, your labor that you've shown as you've ministered to the saints and minister uh, in His name. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 126. This is our last part on this series, but I pray it's the beginning of maybe a new chapter in our, our lives. I know we've gone soul winning. I know you would go on mission trips. I know all that. But I'm praying it's just like a new growth step. I guess that's the best way to put it. A, w- a new awakening for souls to be saved. And through through our testimony for Christ and through our witness for Christ, Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. This will be our theme, our key passage for today. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Amen. Now, you could say that's just a farmer and I wouldn't argue with that. I would also say it's a great illustration or example of someone laboring in God's fields. Okay? And I don't think that's taking it out of context or trying to stretch the Scripture at all. I want to say this this morning and this is our theme for today. Hallelujah, there's great joy in serving the Lord. There's great joy and gladness and blessing and knowing Christ and walking with Christ, great joy and reward for, for those who labor in the Lord's fields. Remember, why are we laboring in His field? If we're laboring in God's fields that men may come to know Christ, that His house may be filled. That His house may be filled. And there's not a whole lot that we get to bring from us from this life into heaven into the next. But one of the things we can bring with us is people that are born again because we planted, watered, reaped the harvest, discipled, any part of that or all parts of that, we can bring them with us, so to speak. The things we do for God, the things we do for the Lord are eternal. Amen? And so we serve God because we love Him who first loved us. It is a duty. It is a commission. The Bible Bible does liken Christians to soldiers. But at the same time, it is a labor of love. We're not mercenaries. We're not hired guns. We are born again by the same Spirit of God that we go out and preach through His Spirit. We're washed in the same blood that we go and tell others can cleanse them of their sin. We're saved by the same grace and mercy that Christ offered to us that we're going to offer to other people through His Gospel. We're not hired guns, we're born again. It's a labor of love. Serving God, Almighty God, fulfilling His great commission. It's a labor of love. And it is accompanied by the greatest reward or rewards that we could ever have. And so I want us to think about it. I want to think about it this morning. And I want us to think about it. What reward could you and I ever receive that would be better than the one our Heavenly Father is going to give us, or the ones that He gives us. What could could surpass that? No paycheck, no uh, raise or bonus, no wages, no compensation for any labor, job, work, services, rendered, sacrifice made could ever compare to the glorious rewards that the Lord gives for those that labor in His fields compelling men to come to Christ. We're empowered by the Holy Ghost. He's given us the word of reconciliation, His Gospel. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation, His calling. He's given us the power by which to do it. You shall be witnesses unto me. Right After you receive the Holy Ghost, you'll receive power. And you'll be witnesses unto me. We've received all that we need and He promises to work with us and never leave us nor forsake us. And we're compelling men to come to Christ, but we won't find greater rewards than in laboring in the Lord's fields. So if you and I have our thoughts and, and we kinda, we're Christians and we're strong Christians, but, but we've gotten sidetracked into, into putting the Great Commission on the back burner somewhere as when I have time and I'm through with my other things that I'm responsible for, I'll get to that. Then we, we need to wake up. And if God uses this by His Spirit and by His Word to provoke us to love and good works, so be it. I pray He does. I pray He uses it in my life. This is why I was hesitant to preach it because I know when you step out and speak something like this, God requires it of you. He's going to require it of our church. And that's a good thing, by the way, that He requires it of our church. We want to be faithful to the Lord. I know we've heard a lot in the last few weeks about Brother Clendenin's sermon Uh, Soldiers, Where some of it's his testimony in in the Marine Corps. 33 months fighting in Guadalcanal in World War II. That first group of guys that went over there. Probably in the history of our country, some of the worst conditions and fighting that that men have seen. 33 months eating food that they could scrounge up. Fish heads, he says. And foods they could take off the, the dead Japanese. Uh, living in, in foxholes and in tunnels and so forth, 33 months. And he, when his time was over, and he came back and sailed under the Golden Gate Bridge, and he had washed his uniform the best he could to be presentable, and he walks down that gangplank when the ship embark, you know, docks there in San Francisco, and the Navy band strikes up, and the people are applauding them and clapping them and thanking them. He said, "I'd go back and do it all again." I go back and do it all again. And while he was over there, he's thinking this is hell on earth. And just that that moment of well done, that moment of thank you for your sacrifice. And he says that was enough. I go back and do it all again. <clears throat> well, we we don't have any rewards that compare to what the Lord can give us and is going to give us, and we're assured of those rewards. Amen. The Bible says, "By faith Moses forsook Egypt. By faith he forsook Egypt. He says he chose to endure affliction with the people of God, rather to enjoy the pleasures of season, pleasures of sin for a season." And and how did he do that? Well, we know he did it by faith, but specifically it says he had respect, that's the word that's used, for the recompense of the reward. What is he saying there? By faith he forsook. We talked about it. We did a study on Moses' life, remember on Wednesday nights, for months after months. Did he climb down the ladder? Basically as being uh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And many people think in line to be a Pharaoh. And stepped down that ladder in a worldly sense. He's climbing up another one, and he stepped down that ladder, and chose to uh, to forego all that. I see it all. I see the riches. I see it all, and I forego all of that. Why? I, for for what the Lord has for me. He had to, by faith, know it's real. The heavenly rewards are real. Are real. And when he says he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. The reward simply means a requital. It means a repayment, a return, or a reward for service. A kindness. So it's it's a kindness, a reward that the Lord shows. He had respect for the reward. And I love this word respect. When it says Moses had respect for the reward of God. I don't want the treasures of Egypt because it's one or the other. And in comparison to... The riches of Egypt in comparison to the rewards of God. I can't have both. Okay? Right? No man having set his hands to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. It's one or the other. I'll forego this, which is temporal, okay, and burns up for this, which by faith he knew is eternal and, and glorious. Okay, but when it says he had respect for the reward of God, basically the rewards of God, that that word respect means to intently regard. And I love this second definition to look away from everything else. That's the actual definition. When he said he had respect for the rewards of God and the recompense that God was going to reward him, he says it means to look away from everything else. And that's where God wants to bring us. It's not that we're ignorant of things around us in the world. But our heart, our our gaze, basically, looks away from from all these things. I see them. Nice house, nice car. Lousy house, lousy car, whatever. You know, uh, I look away from all of that and my heart is fixed on the Lord. My heart is fixed on the eternal rewards of God. And, and I know, because He puts a little glimpse, I had not seen, nor ear heard, neither have he entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love Him. But it goes on to say, but the Spirit has revealed them. So there is a knowing. Well, I don't know what heaven looks like exactly other than what the Bible describes. You might have had some vision or something like that. I haven't. But the point is, I know in my heart by the Holy Ghost Christ, the Lord, the angelic host, the streets of gold, the rewards that He's going to give, what eternity is going to be like with the Lord. It's going to be, I have a taste of it by the Holy Ghost inside of us. He's revealed enough to us to know that it's worth it. Let's put it that way. And we need to be reminded of it. And He wants us to intently regard it the rewards he has for us, and to look away from everything else. That doesn't mean you're negligent about your work, your job, your kids in school, or things like that. He's not saying that. He says in everything, but what in everything would intently look at the Lord. And our heart would be fixed there. The Bible says, lay not up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where malt and rust corrupt, and thieves do break in and steal. That's a fact. Okay? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So it's like you put your treasure there, then that's where your heart's gonna be. If I put my treasure here, this is where my, my heart's gonna be, even though I love God and say I love God and I'm a true Christian. If my building up if I'm building up my treasures here, this is where my heart is going to be. And my heart belongs to the Lord. Amen. Amen? He purchased it. The first and greatest commandment is to love Him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And so the Lord commissioned us, His people, in didn't commission lost people, a commissioned saved people, to go into the all, all the world, preach this Gospel, make disciples of men in every nation. He's given us the Word, as we said. He's given us the promise to work with us. The Bible says we're labors together with God. It is not you and me, try, you and I trying to convince Men of something that they don't believe, we could never. It is the work of the Holy Ghost through us and through this gospel, then it is possible. That's how you got saved. Amen. And it's possible. But thank God we're not on our own. And the Lord went went forth and preached everywhere. I'm sorry. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. So who went with the disciples? Bunch of fishermen and tax collectors. And who went with them to turn the world upside down? Because that's what the Bible says about the disciples in acts. Who went with them? The Lord. Who worked with them? The Lord. Who empowered them to do miracles and did miracles through them? Who was a co-laborer? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, we're, we're laborers together with God. We're laborers together with the Lord. And so the Lord works with us. And so He sends us out there and He has promised us for those that labor in His fields, and His vineyards, He has promised great rewards for all those who faithfully serve Him. Heavenly rewards. I think many, many joys come in this life from serving the Lord and serving in the ministry of the Gospel. But I would think for sure the greatest and the biggest are still to come in heaven. I don't think that that's stretching this But there is a joy in the harvest. There's a joy in the harvest. There's a joy in the blessing for the reapers. For those that work and sweat and toil and are are allowed to reap. So I'll go back to the passage we opened with, if you're still there. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And so when it says uh, bearing precious seeds, so here, here just picture, just like the parable of the seed and the sower. sower went forth to sow. That's how that, that parable starts. Jesus said, sower went forth to sow. What does that mean? It means somebody who plants seeds went with the seeds and went for the purpose of doing that and they began to do it. So the sower goes forth to sow. What is the seed? The seed is the word of God. They that go forth it says, uh, "Weepeth, weep and weepeth, bearing precious seed." And in, in our purposes today, for this sermon, that is the word of God. They go forth sowing in tears. They go forth maybe in travail. They go forth in hard labor. They go forth in, and in, in maybe some some uncertainty. Maybe they, they, but they're going forth in faith. But they, they're sowing in tears. You're sowing through some labor. This is not easy. We talked about it last week. Laboring in the gospel and for the Lord and doing the Great Commission is the hardest work that you'll ever know. Not miserable, but it's hard. It's difficult. It says, but they shall come again rejoicing. And it says, doubtless they'll come again rejoicing. That means of a surety or of a truth. So it's assured. This is what I want us to see this morning. They don't come back. The laborer does not return. We're talking about laboring in God's fields. The laborer does not return from his labor empty-handed. The laborer does not return from his field uh, disgusted, disappointed, depressed, let down, discouraged, feeling like they've been fooled. They they go forth sowing in tears and they shall doubtless come again with joy. Doubtless, And it says they'll be bringing their sheaves with them. So the harvest, what is the harvest, y'all? The harvest is souls. It's the souls of men. What are we laboring for? We're laboring for the eternal souls of men, men and women that are born again by God's grace that we labor for. We labored in prayer, We labored by preaching the gospel to them, by witnessing to them, sharing with them the things of Christ and the word of truth. Men and women that Jesus Christ died for, their souls are eternal. Our souls are eternal. We're created in the image of God. Souls that Christ, and we get to bring people that the Lord died for and that He saved. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Listen to this passage. If, you, if you're taking those, 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 9. I have planted Apollo's water. These two born again people, right? I planted Apollo's water, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth, that would be you and me, anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now, he that plant planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward. That's what we're talking about today. According to his own labor. Every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You're God's husbandry. You're God's building. And so we see that uh, God gives the increase. God is the one that that saves. Salvation is of the Lord. He allows us to be part of the whole picture. The whole labor and and to enjoy in the reaping of it as well. He allows us to be part of that. The Lord's Word, some of it falls on bad soil, maybe uh, rocky ground where there's not much earth. Some of it falls on the wayside and the, and the, the, the fowls of the air, the devil. Takes away the seed. But he says some falls on good soil. And it brings forth fruit. Some 30, 60, 100 fold. God gives the increase. That means to enlarge or to cause to grow. The Lord does that. Again, but he allows us to to work with him. And he's the one who quickens the dead. He calleth those things that are not as though they were. The Lord does that. But he says, I want you to be part of this those that He has redeemed, those that He has quickened by His Spirit and given life. We were dead in our trespasses and sins and He quickened us. He allows us to work with Him and to actually share in the joy of the harvest. The fruit that comes in, He lets us be a partaker of that. There's a wonderful scripture. I'm just going to read it to you. It says that he that ploweth should plow in hope and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. And so he says, oh, "We're plowing, that's hard work. We're threshing. That's hard work, but he wants us to plow and thresh in hope, and then we're a partaker of the same hope. So you're laboring in the gospel, and he allows us to be part of the hope that goes along with that, the joy that accompanies that in this life, and as I said, even more so in heaven, to be a partaker of that. And I love what it says in this. it uses this singularly in, in verse six of Psalm 126. he that goes forth. It says he's going to come again. Doubtless he'll come again with rejoicing. So he went forth sowing in tears. He doubtless is going to come again with rejoicing. And what else does it say? Bringing his sheaves with him. Mm-hmm. Doubtless. A sheaf. A sheaves is just a bundle. It's a bundle of the fruit. It's, this is a result of the labor. This is a result of the farming. This is a result of that that crop, uh, that, that hard plowing and breaking up the fallow ground through prayer and sowing and fasting and, and bringing the gospel to people and going out in Foxy's neighborhood where we go and bringing the gospel. And we're plowing and we're sowing and it's tears and we make sacrifices to do it. And it says, doubtless he's going to come with rejoicing. He went in tears. He's going to come rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. He's going to have a return. And oh, what a return. If at the end of your life you brought one person to the Lord, I would say hallelujah, glory to God. If you brought ten, a hundred, thousand, D.L. Moody, tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people to the Lord, glory to God. By all means, safe song. But he said he's going to come with joy, rejoicing, bringing his sheaves With him. And it's personal. It's like it's his sheet. His little bundle. Now we know the Lord saved them. Salvation's of the Lord. We don't take credit for saving them. But God says I want to use you. You're going to be instrumental in this. You're going to be hands on in this. You're going to really get to win them to the Lord. You're going to be there when it happens. You're going to be part of that moment. It's going to be your voice. That shares the gospel and your prayers, and your hand on their shoulder. I remember leading some old high school buddies to the Lord, kneeling down by a sofa at an early morning Bible study, one on each side. I'll never forget it. Praying for them to give their lives to Jesus. You get to be part of that. Who saved them? God saved them. Who did he get? Who's a pleasure go-to? I got to pray with them to give their lives to the Lord. We get to do that come again rejoicing. Paul says, I'm gonna read a lot of scriptures just real quickly. Paul says to the Corinthians, he was jealous over them for a jealous got with a godly jealousy. He says, I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. There's something very personal about it, right? Very personal. I brought you the gospel. I prayed with you to give your lives to Jesus. You came out of all kinds of idolatry that was in the city of Corinth and all that stuff and all your sin. You're born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit in the church in Corinth. And I'm guarding over you because I'm going to present you. It's personal, right? Uh, to Christ. Another scripture. You are, ye are our epistle written in our hearts. You are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us. Another scripture, therefore my beloved, therefore my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Very personal. Not just oh, I brought the gospel, I sowed the seed, moved on. There's something with the Lord's allowing it to be something eternal and something that surpasses any other type of relationship or reward or anything like that. Uh, and one more scripture. For in Christ Jesus, he said in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul said, I have begotten you through the gospel. He's not saying he's the savior of the world. He's saying, I've begotten you. I've brought you to this new life by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's going to come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. We go forth sowing in tears. It's hard. It's labor. Everybody's not going to be saved. Our heart's going to be broken like the Lord's heart's broken. Some people will reject, and some people may later, after they reject, get saved. Some may reject and die in their sin and unbelief and go to hell and spend eternity. But we get to be partakers of all the joy. There's no greater joy than leading a soul to Jesus. No greater joy. It's a special kind of thing. All its own. Seeing a life before your eyes transformed, made new in Christ, their sins forgiven, them washed in the blood of the Lamb, them being filled by the same Holy Spirit that fills your life. Everything in their life and their all eternity, eternity for future to come is, is new and changed. And there's nothing like it. And you labored for it, and you labored for their souls. And God allows you to be a partaker of that. Thank God He doesn't just hoard that to Himself. Like some you know, cruel boss or employer that lords it over the people and slave drivers, but they never get to enjoy any of the fruit of the labor. Like Pharaoh in Egypt, you know, putting the Jews to task with building the bricks and, and, and building the, the cities and all the stuff that they built over there in Egypt. They weren't going to set foot in it and enjoy it. Amen? But the Lord's not like that. The Bible talks in James about, you know, ungodly employers, basically. It's, it says that the hire of the laborers which, ye, which have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud. So there are people that are wicked that they, you, you work for them and you, you don't get any kind of reward for it. You're kept back from the reward that should come, or the compensation that should come from that. God's not like that. He's not unrighteous. And that is unrighteous to do that. God is not unrighteous to forget your labor that you have shown. All glory goes to the Lord. And we as, as the soul winners, and that's what we're called, are blessed beyond measure because we get to represent the Lord He rewards us for laboring in His fields. It says in 1 Timothy 5 that the laborer is worthy of His reward. God counts it that way. Men don't. We forget good good that people have done for us, and we don't reward them, even with the thanks many times. We forget goodness and kindness that people have shown to us, maybe complete strangers or family members. We're so caught up in our little worlds. God doesn't forget. He doesn't forget. You give a cup of cool water to someone in his name, he'll remember that. Thank you. How much more if we bring a soul that he died for with us? Here we go, Lord. Here's one you saved. Here's one you, you used me to, to bring the gospel to, Lord. And it's all, all glory to God. All the glory goes to the Lord. The Lord's not going to forget. We're going to get to rejoice. The Bible says... Likewise, I say unto you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Just one. Just one. We're, we're praying for a revival in our country. I know I am. That millions, millions would be swept in the kingdom of God in these last days and hours. But just one. There's a celebration in heaven. And it's not well. At least they're happy, but we get to be part of that joy, and we'll be in heaven forever and ever with the other redeemed of the Lord. They were saved saved by the same gospel, saved by the same same grace of God. I want to close with this and uh, this little this last little part. The Bible says that the. the the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life and he that winneth souls is wise. And so there's wisdom in it. The world thinks it's foolish. What do you come knocking on my door, sticking a track in my face? They think it's foolishness. You take all your time doing that. Why didn't you go do something useful with your life? You know what I'm saying? Go do so you could have been hunting and fishing today. You could have done made money today. Why are you doing that? Why are you walking around the Foxy's neighborhood where it's drug infested and all kinds of dirt and filth and everything else going on over there. Why are you walking around there knocking on people's door and meeting the little kids in the streets and the Hispanics that live over there and telling them about Jesus and printing up gospel tracts in English and Spanish? What's the, what are you doing that for? Well, He that wins souls is wise. They're wise. Because again, the rewards. God is worth it. God is worthy of it. He's worthy of it. He's worthy. If your whole life spent and one comes to the Lord, sharing the gospel, He's worthy of that. And there's not specifically in the Bible. There's five crowns that are mentioned. I thought this was interesting. I looked it up just this past weekend. You always hear about crowns and rewards for the believers, okay? And they're they're real, okay. There are five crowns that are mentioned in the New Testament for believers. There's not one that's specifically called the soul winning crown. You kind of heard that before, a soul winner's crown. There is one that fits the bill pretty well that we're going to look at. I just want to mention these crowns real quickly. There's an imperishable crown. These are five crowns mentioned in the New Testament for believers. Okay, an imperishable crown where... We mentioned it earlier, lay up for your treasures, yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt, where thieves don't break in and steal, because it's incorruptible. It's not going to perish. Whatever that reward is, it's eternal. It'll last and keep its glimmer and shine and value forever and ever. Okay? It's an imperishable crown. There's a crown of righteousness. Paul said at the end of his life, when he wrote, wrote 2 Timothy, I fought the good fight, henceforth there is up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day, and not to me only, but all, unto all them that also did love his appearing. So there's the second crown. The eternal crowns for believers. There is a crown of life. I just want to read this to you from Revelation. Be thou faithful, the Lord says to the church at Smyrna. They had a little power. They held on to to what they had and were faithful. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. There's a third crown for believers. Uh, There is a crown of glory. Peter says... Uh, in First Peter five four, when the chief Shepherd, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, shall appear, I believe that's the rapture. That's when we're going to receive our rewards. Ye shall receive receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The fourth crown for believers. Okay, the last one. I think this could be the soul winner's crown, and it's called the crown of rejoicing. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. We're about to close, y'all second two. Thessalonians chapter 2 second Thessalonians chapter 2 I'm sorry first first Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 19 and 20For what is our hope or, or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye, and the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming, for ye are our glory and joy. I'm going to call this, the, we know it's called the crown of rejoicing, but we're, I'm going to call this the soul winner's crown. Because he says, what is our joy? What is our, our hope and our crown of rejoicing? Is it not you, you believers in Thessalonica that we brought the gospel to, they believed, and you're waiting for his blessed hope and appearing in the rapture of the church. It's you. It's you in the presence of the Lord now that you're born again. That's a soul winner's crown. What is a crown? And the, the Bible says, the, the Greek word is Stephanos. It's where we get the name Stephen, like Stephen the martyr in the Bible. It means a badge of royalty, a prize of honor. In the ancient Greek games, and this would have been you know, uh, fitting for the day in which Paul was writing this, in the ancient Greek games—it would have been a wreath placed on the victor's head, the one who won an athletic competition—and—and and this is compare. Our our crown of rejoicing is not a wreath placed on our head of leaves that there were literally, in a matter of days, turn brown and wilt and and corrupt. Our crown of rejoicing. Is is souls that the Lord allowed us to be partaking of. Because the Lord allowed us to win them to the Lord. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we an incorruptible. This is why he that wins souls is wise. Wiser than he that spends all his time building up earthly treasures. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong. And I've said it before with working hard, enjoying the fruits of your labor in this life. Ecclesiastes talks about that, right? Enjoy the fruit of your labor. Enjoy. But realize that true wisdom is some of the matter is to fear God and serve the Lord. Right? Because all this is going to pass away. Know that. Don't let it have your heart. And you better check to make sure it doesn't have your heart. Because we can say it doesn't. And it really does. I need to check my own heart. Okay? But they do it to obtain a corruptible corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Now that's real joy. That's real joy. And He's going to say to you, He's going to say to me, not that we were perfect. God knows we're not perfect. We know we're not perfect. But I can be more mature in Christ. I can serve God more faithfully than I have. I can share the Gospel with more people than I have. I can pray more for souls than I have. And when we get to heaven, and the Lord says, Well done. Well done, that good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Will that be worth it? Will that be worth it more than other things that we thought were so valuable and accomplishments and trinkets that we had here? I guarantee it will be. The Holy Ghost is showing you in your heart and in my heart as well that it will be more than worth it. Amen? More than worth it to know the Lord, to serve the Lord, in that way. We're going to have the crown of rejoicing. Those people that the Lord used us to lead to the Lord. I'm closing with two scriptures. In 1 Corinthians 15, after the whole long chapter about, starts with this is the gospel that was preached unto you by which you stand. And it goes all the way through the rapture of the church. It is corruptible. It must put on incorruption and so forth. It goes all the way through that. And then it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the labor of the Lord. It is in the work of the Lord, inasmuch as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You might feel like it's in vain sometimes. You're counseling somebody, and you've counseled them the same thing for 15 years, and it seems like nothing's happening. You, you brought you prayed for your lost brother for 30 years. And they're still not saved. In fact, they seem further away than ever before. But our labor in the Lord is not in vain. I can't answer all the questions. I can't answer who all is going to come to Christ and who's not. I can't answer what the Word of God says. And He says, your labor's not in vain in the Lord. Are you laboring in prayer for lost loved ones and souls? It's not in vain. Even if they don't come to Christ, it's not in vain. God's going to bless you and reward you for it. Noah built the ark 120 years, and nobody got on but his family, but it wasn't in vain. It was not in vain. Jeremiah preached right before the Babylonian captivity and during it. And nobody, as far as we know, he had one faithful servant, but nobody listened and heeded his preaching. But it wasn't in vain. Amen? God blessed, God rewarded, God was glorified even on the earth, even through the preaching of that gospel that was rejected. God loved men enough and Noah's as they to tell him the truth, and he was glorified by that, even when men that didn't come. I'll close with this last scripture in Matthew ten. Do you can come? It's kind of where we all started this five weeks ago on our series on the Great Commission. Jesus said he was sending his disciples forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. He says, as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick by the power of the Holy Ghost, right? Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. Freely you have received. Freely give. So let's, let's, I just thought that was a appropriate place for God would have us to end this. What we've received. You sitting here this morning with your salvation and with forgiveness of sins and with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and with the personal relationship with Christ and with heaven as being your home. And all the things that go with God, the righteousness of Christ that has robed your life right now and the mind of Christ, which the Bible says we have in 1 Corinthians. And I could go on and on. The grace of God. And the enabling of God by the power of the Holy Ghost. You have that right now. We have received that freely. We didn't pay for it, we didn't earn it. We got a lot of things we didn't even ask for. When I I gave my life to Jesus, I didn't ask to be robed in the righteousness of Christ. I asked Him to save me, save my soul, forgive my sins, come into my heart, be my Savior. He rode me in the righteousness of Christ. He justified me just as if I never sinned. There's so much, we we just freely received it all. The car you drive and the house you live in and the food you're going to eat, we received all that from the Lord too. And that will all pass away, okay? But freely we have received. Now you know what? Don't be stingy with what God's given you. Don't be stingy with your money. Don't be stingy with your time. Don't be stingy with the strength and health you have in your bodies. Don't be stingy with your your voice. Don't be stingy with the Holy Ghost and the grace that you've been given and the Savior that saved you and the Gospel that other men can be saved. Give it. You cannot outgive. Give all of it. Give the spiritual things. Give the worldly things. The physical things. And if you're being led by the Spirit of God, He will replenish you and I will never do without. We might have times we have more than others. Okay? There might be a lot of other people and other Christians that have more than us. And some have less than us. But you just stay in God's will. Freely give of what you've been given by the Lord. Preach this gospel. Give it. Give it. Well, they might reject me. They might laugh at me. They might beat me up. They might do a lot of things. God says, go do it. Go do it. I'm with you. Always. Don't be sinned. You're going to get to weep, uh, sow in tears because it's hard. You're also assuredly doubtless. Psalm 126. Doubtless shall come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You're going to bring your sheaves with you. And all the other stuff passes away, but you got your sheaves with you. That's other souls. They gave their life to Christ. Stay with me this morning. I said this concludes our series on the Great Commission. It does not conclude at all. I pray it's the beginning of us walking in the reality and fulfilling the Great Commission. Amen. I want somebody to lay hold of the Lord at the altar or make an altar at your chair if you're concerned about things. Find a place and meet with God and don't leave. we're going to try to move some furniture here in just a moment, moment to the new building. But let's not rush this time right here to seek the Lord and lay hold of Him. Father, we come before You. In Jesus' name.